1: I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap, That's Creole for something extra. And today's Lanyap follows our show's theme for today, Women's History Month. Many listeners have heard of Offred, the main character of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. And Jennifer Lawrence grew to stardom by playing Katniss Everdeen, the savior of fictional Panem, in Suzanne Collins' Hunger Games series. But do you know Lauren Olamina? She's the heroine in Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Butler's books call into question the notion held tight by many dystopian novels of today. Their future is violent, oppressive, and predominantly white. Octavia Butler, whose work earned her a MacArthur Genius Grant, had a different take on science fiction, one that talks about race and community and a hopeful future. My guests join me to talk about the recent resurgence of interest in Octavia Butler's works and some adaptations of her work, some happening right here in Boston. Natrice Gaskins, Afrofuturism scholar and the director of Boston Arts Academy's STEAM Lab, that's science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Welcome, Natrice. Thank you. Also from Charleston, South Carolina, Claire Curtis, member of the Octavia E. Butler Literary Society and professor of political science at the College of Charleston. Hello, Claire. Hello. And from Champaign, Illinois, Damian Duffy, co-adapter of Octavia Butler's Kindred, the novel to a graphic novel and adjunct professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Welcome, Damian. Thanks for having me. So a lot of people are unfamiliar with Octavia Butler, Claire Curtis. I just want to say this. She produced 13 novels in addition to a number of essays, won some top sci-fi awards, including the MacArthur Genius Grant, which was for her writing, and was the recipient of Penn's Lifetime Achievement Award in 2000. So she's out there. She's known in circles like yours, the Octavia E. Butler Literary Society, but Now it seems more people have come to know her. Why the resurgence now, do you think?
2: Well, I think there are a couple of different reasons. I mean, Butler is writing these really prescient novels, these novels that look to a future that seemed— at the time, I think, that she was writing in 1993 and 1998, specifically for the two parable books— Um, That seems so very far in the future. And we know that it's not that far away right now. We also know there was a lot of talk this summer about the fact that the second book, Parable of the Talents, includes a presidential candidate, Randall Jarrett, whose slogan is to make America great again. And so there are these moments of prescience where people start to think, oh, my gosh, what could a future start to look like? Let's read Octavia Butler and think about what that future is like.
1: We should note that Octavia Butler died prematurely uh, at the age of 58. Last year, there was a a lot of celebration of her life because it would mark the 10th anniversary of her death. So she was not only very early, as you say, Claire, in thinking about some of these concepts, but she also died early before she can even see some of these things happening, Natrice. Uh, So, how is it that you see her now in the context of Afrofuturism?
0: At Spelman College, Tanana Reeve um was there as a fellow. She brought together John Jennings, who was the co-adapter of The Kindred, Damien, Juno Diaz, and various other folks together to celebrate Octavia's life and work. And it was just great to really be in a room full of all these science fiction, black and brown science fiction authors, filmmakers, college professors, students, and really just kind of think about her her legacy, just see people that knew her and work with her closely and what they thought and what they remembered of her. And seeing a sort of new generation or new wave of, of Afrofuturists, or at least in terms of practice, folks who so you would put in the domain of Afrofuturism to talk about her work in the context of today. And that was maybe, I want to say, four years ago, four or five years ago. And then since then, really created a community of folks around the the globe, actually, really um, looking at how she navigates past, present, and future. She brings elements of the past in. She talks about slavery, writes about it in Kindred and some other of her books. And she looks at, you know, sort of the Middle Passage, but she also looks at things like you know, Trump presidency um, as a possibility for if we go in this direction, if mm. we keep going in this direction, we might wind up in this situation. So let me stop you and ask you to define Afrofuturism so people understand what we mean about her works being in that context. Um, Afrofuturism is sort of a technocultural practice. It's not just an aesthetic. It's a sort of way of looking at the world. So creating your own blueprints, creating your own alternative futures, being able to navigate and move back and forth between past, present and future, sort of learning from the past to sort of inform the present to look into the future and to imagine a future. And where black folks are in different positions, that they are time travelers, that they might be astronauts, that they might just be people who are able to um, change the world that they're in. So you mentioned Juno Diaz,
1: and some people may recognize his name as a Pulitzer Prize winner of the novel The Brief wondrous life of Oscar Woe, and then also he wrote This Is How You Lose Her. Diaz works here in Boston and teaches at MIT, teaches writing. Here's what he had to say. One cannot exaggerate the impact she has had across canons. As creators, writers, critics, we're still wrestling with her extraordinary work. I teach her every single year without fail. To me, she is that important. Obviously, Damien Duffy, she is that important to you as well because you and your partner, John Jennings, decided that you were going to Rethink Octavia Butler's Kindred, her powerful novel, about Dana, a young woman uh, in California who time travels back and forth to a plantation in Maryland, into a graphic novel. Why was this so important to you to do?
3: We had actually been trying to adapt that novel for several years, even before we eventually got this job, because personally, I read the novel when I was a sophomore in college in creative writing, and uh, I came to it not really knowing much about Butler's work or about the novel itself. So it really kind of took me by surprise in a way that often doesn't happen. And it's one of the few novels I've read in a single sitting straight through. And it really speaks to a lot of the issues that John and I have worked with through comics for over a decade. Uh, We've curated art shows about sort of identity politics and gender politics in comics. We've written graphic novels of our own about that. So in a certain sense, it just made, made sense for us to adapt Kindred. It seemed very much in line with a lot of work we had been doing Individually and uh, collaboratively.
1: Is there something particularly special about uh, Natrice and both Claire have talked about how she seems to be right for these times? We think of graphic novels as right for a new generation and going forward. So that's all about kind of the futuristic look that she had. So did that make the content of Kendrit particularly adaptable to what you have done in the graphic novel?
3: Yeah, no, I I think—well, I just read a—somebody wrote online about how actually all her other novels lend themselves to being comics more so than this one because they're more obviously influenced by, like, superhero comics because she used to collect X-Men comics for a while. And a lot of her stories of telepaths and things like that have strong ties to some of the notions of heroism in those comics. So Kindred actually is maybe one of the perhaps hardest to adapt because a lot of it is just talking. Um, There's a great deal of dialogue that goes on which is usually not considered the most interesting visual way of expressing oneself in comics. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not just dialogue. There are also very difficult sort of uh, scenes of violence, historical violence. But in both cases, it turned out that um, comics, we felt, really captured the emotion of the novel and was able to represent it in a new way but in hopefully as impactful a way, in a way that makes people think critically about uh, the history of race and gender in this country— where we're headed and how things might change.
1: So, Claire Curtis, what do you think about these new ways of looking at Octavia Butler's work? So now we have Damien Duffy's graphic novel. I'm about to talk about an adaptation that's done by Toshi Reagan, who and it's a musical about The Parable of the Sower, which is in Boston later this month in March. What makes her work just right for this kind of, like, being a musical? I mean, you can see maybe the graphic novel, but becoming a musical is something else.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting part about her work is she really is speaking about issues that it's hard to imagine a time— when people wouldn't have been concerned about these issues. And so, you know, she's concerned about the notion of how we create communities. She's concerned about the idea that people are really motivated to kind of seek security, and a lot of people seek that security in ways that create insecurity for other kinds of people. She's really interested in the idea of vulnerability and the different ways in which different kinds of people can be understood to be vulnerable. And she writes these um, novels and short stories that in some sense are fairly bleak. You know, she's often using a post-apocalyptic or dystopian setting. She herself in her own writing has talked about how she doesn't believe in utopia stories. But that aside, I actually think that Butler is one of the best kind of visionary authors for our times, that she inserts hope into her novels, into her short stories. And even when you read interviews with her or the people who've gone to the Huntington archives and have read the drafts of the books that never ultimately got published, including actually the the Parable series was supposed to be four novels and only the first two were published, is that one of the things that people say is that you can see the struggle in her drafts to make sure that that hope gets into the text, that often first drafts come across really bleakly. And then as the drafts go on and on and on, this hope kind of comes out. And she's talked in in interviews about this idea, and she was saying this in the mid-90s, the ways in which how we don't have enough visionaries. And I really think she's this amazing visionary. And because she's a visionary, her works can then be translated, that vision, that hope can be translated in other art forms, not just in words on a page. I want
1: everybody to hear uh, a little bit of an excerpt from an interview that Toshi Reagan gave about this piece that is going to be performed here in Boston at Arts Emerson at the Paramount Theater. And in this piece, she's really talking about why the parable of the sower, which is the piece that she adapted, is so right right now for the conversation that's going on.
0: Parable of the Solar is a a great conversation to have right now. In this um, book, there is there is no administrators of society that everything becomes for profit. If you're living now. You are seeing some of these issues happen. And I can't think of a better way to bring people together, to open up um, dialogue, to support um, activism than a
1: strong piece of theater. So, Natrice Gaskins over at the Boston Arts Academy, I know that you find her work thrilling. I want (laughs) you to talk about why, why that is so. And when you hear Toshi talking about it in that context, does that ring true to you?
0: Yeah, and I work with young people almost every day. And one of the things that comes up a lot when I work with young people and this kind of idea of Afrofuturism and even in more specifically what Octavia Butler's work is, you know, in a, I've been working with some youth around the Parable of the Sower as an Afrofuturistic, DIY, tinkering-making project. They really take to the dystopia side because they see it so much in, in, around them. And it's very difficult for them to sort of come up with a vision for the future. And um, I've often said it's very difficult with young people who are inundated um, with media messages that are negative. You know, they see the protests in the street and Black Lives Matter and and whatnot. It's very difficult for them to see beyond it and perhaps see beyond it for themselves or their communities. And so it becomes an activity just to learn how to vision. And Octavia provides a sort of blueprint for them to do that, where she, in parables, she has uh, Lauren found a group called Earthseed, Their mantra is God is change. And they take this post-apocalyptic scenario and make it into something recreated. And I think this idea of creating sort of a new belief system or creating a new community is something that young people need to see. And they have more exposure to as opposed to all the other stuff, which I think they still should know but they need to be able to see themselves in the future. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with
1: Callie Crossley, and here with me are Natrice Gaskins, you just heard her, Claire Curtis, and Damien Duffy. We're discussing Octavia Butler's lasting impact, not only on sci-fi literature, but also the various adaptations of her work, hitting the stage and bookstores right now. We should mention that Damien Duffy and John Jennings' book is a part of ICA Reads all year, 2017. The ICA has picked certain books for folks to read, and that's definitely one of them. I wanted to pull a piece of the music, just the music, not Toshi talking about it, that she wrote for Parable of the Sword. We don't know the name of it, but it seems to be speaking right to the question of, you just mentioned Lauren founding the organization Earthseed, that the earth and climate change and all these things are at issue. So let's take a listen. Let me tell you
0: now, it don't rain
1: Very catchy. Toshi Reagan, by the way, if people uh, think, boy, that's a name I may have heard. Her uh, mother is Bernice Johnson Reagan, the founder of Sweet Honey and the Rock. Her father was also a singer and part of the Freedom Singers during the Civil Rights Movement, both uh, he and her mother. So she comes by her musical legacy, honestly, and she's, of course, multi-talented on her own. We haven't talked about this, but I'm interested in from each of you about your take on this. What is the power and the impact of Octavia Butler being a woman of color, a black woman in the visioning space? Natrice, I'll start with you.
0: Um, you know, I mentioned the young people's difficulty and not everyone, but a lot as a challenge to sort of imagine. We talk about things like women, human computers and NASA and things like that. And that's real, and that's you know, but we also have People who are artists or writers or authors who can sit down and imagine themselves as something else, as not a stereotype or as not a historical figure, something that gets repeated by the mainstream media, but doing something that's totally different and not thought of. So the impact of her work, I think, for students is representation. One, she's a Black woman writing in a predominantly white um, genre of science fiction, but she's also a visionary, And she's also speaking to very visual and very tangible ideas. And I think for me, the legacy is that we can look to her and then look beyond and sort of carry the torch, so to speak. I read her books. I read uh, Wild Seed mm. in maybe middle school. So um, I've been aware of Octavia for a long time. Knowing that she existed with other authors like Gloria Naylor really helped me to understand that there was representation in, and I actually wrote. I wrote a lot and authored a lot of things as a young person because of Octavia's work.
1: Claire, what do you say? And also, Claire, I wonder if you'd address the fact that this resurgence of interest is really not just in the sci-fi community, but outside of that.
2: Right. So I think I agree with Natrice. I think, you know, the two ways of thinking about the influence of Octavia Butler being a A black woman is, one, the idea of just representation, what that means for her as an author and for people to see that as an author, but then also to look at the particular characters. I mean, so her characters are predominantly young female black women. And so over the course of her writings to see that as the primary character, which I think is deeply meaningful for young women of color to read that. But I think it's meaningful for lots of people to read that. I mean, I I teach Octavia Butler's short stories in my introduction to political thought class every semester. And to have, frankly, particularly white male students immerse themselves in these short stories where they are not at the center of the story, I think is really important. And then in terms of her influence and what it means kind of in all these places overall, I think part of what's interesting is this intersection where Butler is a science fiction writer. She's a writer in the utopian dystopian tradition. She's a writer in the increasingly popular post-apocalyptic genre, a genre that is often very violent. And I think what's interesting about Butler are the ways in which he's often turning on its head these moments that you expect to see in post-apocalyptic novels, and then they always look a little bit different when Butler talks about them. So, for example, it's very common in a post-apocalyptic novel that there will be cannibals. And in Parable of the Sower, there's this very, very brief scene of cannibals. Lauren, the character, describes them as 13-, 14-, and 15-year-olds three boys, one girl, the girl described as being hugely pregnant, cooking someone's foot and lower leg over a fire and eating it. And that was not a sign that Lauren and her burgeoning community needed to like kill those children, but nor were they going to try and welcome them within the community and say, oh, this is terrible. The lives you're leading, we need to save you. Instead, there's this acknowledgement Some people are going to turn to cannibalism. We are going to turn our backs from that and walk away. And so I think there's this way in which she takes these um, genres that are often doing things in very different ways and she puts a spin on that genre. And that, I think, has become something that as people become interested in this post-apocalyptic, in the dystopian, in the utopian, in the science fiction, all of which I think are becoming more and more popular, that she will become a real touchstone on those issues. So,
1: Damien, how do you answer the question about her importance, the impact of her being a black woman in this space?
3: I definitely agree with everything you said. Just through her work and through her excellence as an author and also as a speaker, she inspired a, a whole generation of writers and creators and continues to inspire future generations of writers and creators, which is a testament to her work and the importance of her work to people beyond what were considered, you know, the traditional science fiction readership, right, the white male readership. And I also think that her work has been and will continue to be important, and her identity lends to that because she presents, like, a very, a very honest view of what the future may be, of how different sort of dystopian scenarios can play out, of how, uh, in the case of Kindred, how we deal with history. You know, it's a very unvarnished view But there's a certain truth to it that I think comes from the fact that she lived a life where she didn't have that white privilege of ignoring these potentials, of ignoring the ways that our society tends to overlook or give short shrift to the very painful realities that exist right in front of us.
1: Well, thank you all for this very insightful conversation about Octavia Butler and introducing her to so many people who might not have heard her name but now have many opportunities to get to know her. We can certainly look to your book, Damian Duffy, the one that you and John Jenkins uh, co-authored, Jennings, uh, Jennings. John Jennings (laughs) co-authored at the ICA, uh, reads all year. It's on sale there. And certainly for people who would be interested in the musical, Art Emerson will be hosting that with Toshi Reagan later on in March. So I thank you all for joining me.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you.
1: Natrice Gaskins is a Afrofuturism scholar and the STEAM Lab director at the Boston Arts Academy. Claire Curtis is a member of the Octavia E. Butler Literary Society and an associate professor at the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. And Damian Duffy is an adjunct professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and one of the adapters behind the New York Times bestseller, Kindred, a graphic novel adaptation of Octavia Butler's novel of the same name. The book is out in bookstores now. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find links to the stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org slash UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app or take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And please write to us at undertheradar@wgbh.org. at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Asuahe is our producer. We leave you today with a bit more from Joy Williams' Woman enjoy. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.